This is Consumed, the podcast that sparks conversations with eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers across California, and especially at its heart, the Central Coast. I'm your host, Jamie Lewis, a freelance food and drink writer based in San Luis Obispo. Allie Rush is a certified sommelier, wine educator, and owner of 15 Degrees C Wine Shop in Templeton, California. I first met Allie when I was trying to take what's called the WSET exam, a certification for wine experts. I had heard from someone that a new little wine shop next door to Trader Joe's in Templeton would host the exam. I looked them up and called, and that new little wine shop was Allie's 15 Degrees C. At the time, there were zero local wine shops focusing on international wines, not to mention shops owned and operated by a sommelier, and especially not by a young woman. Allie was the OG in this regard and has helped usher the Central Coast into a new phase of wine appreciation over the last dozen years, a phase that includes wines from South Africa, Italy, and Argentina, as well as those from across California. She's particularly knowledgeable in, and obsessed with, Spanish wines and food, and visits Spain regularly as she has since she was a child. Learn more in my conversation with Allie Rush. Allie Rush is the coolest name I think <laughs> right I don't know why I ever changed it <laughs> it's such a good name it's like I don't know there's something about the last name you know what's cooler than Allie Rush is my dad's name was Burl and oh, short awesome. for Burl is Bud, <laughs> bud. <laughs> <laughs> and he had Should've wild winemaker I know and he had wild and crazy red hair so Bud Rush. Bud Rush is better but than Burl Rush. Rush is crazy too. Burl? I've never even ran. I've never heard Burl of Lives, another Burl. The singer, yeah. Oh, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. He had an interesting. It was it was Burl, Leslie, and Robert were oh. his two brothers. Yeah. Like I guess you know with the times names change. Totally, they totally do. Yeah, I have a feeling in twenty years we'll be laughing about all the names that end with like I-N-E-N or A-N. Mm-hmm. My son's name is Corbin, but there's like Caden and Camden and Eden and Hudson. And it's just, it's a thing. Yeah. And our generation is all the the Sarahs and the Allie, Michelle Jamie, and the Allison. Christy, Jay- yeah, exactly. Yeah, Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. It's those. like everybody just needs to get together and choose a different genre <laughs> of a generation. <laughs> so your dad, you you talk like your dad isn't with us any longer. No, he is with us. Sorry. Oh, okay. He is with us. Okay. Um, yeah. All's good. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> he was. I don't know why I said past tense. <laughs> there was, God, this is not important, but there was um, a newscaster who announced that Bob Hope, he was talked about that Bob Hope was dead, had died, and Bob Hope was watching. He was alive, and he was like, um, I'm still, I'm still here. here. <laughs> Excuse me. Over here. Oh, Hi. my gosh. So sad. Please let it not be me. Oh. So where did you grow up? I originally was born, actually, in Pasadena. Okay. And my grandfather... Um, started Arcadia Pools. What's that? It's a pool company. So oh. they, he built and, and maintenanced pools down in the Pasadena, Arcadia, mm-hmm. LA area. 
But when he started it, it was right after uh, World War II and the baby boom. Yeah. So everybody came back and everybody built pools. Sure. And um, it was a very successful business. He, They actually used to do the Showcase House every year, which is like this big, huge mansion that is renovated. And they back then, they got all the people. So they got the pool person and yes. they got the interior designer and they got the kitchen person and they got, you know, all the different like people to build a dream home. Yeah. And then they would sell tickets and it was a fundraiser and there's food and beverages and you would go in and tour this like perfect house. Mm -hmm. And if you liked something in the house, then you could hire that person to come do that for your house. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a big deal. So my dad is the youngest of three and um, they took over the pool company. Mm -hmm. And then um, he, you know, as as it oftentimes happens, siblings get in fights over sure. things. So my dad kind of had a midlife crisis and um, started his own company. We moved to, we had a beach house in Oxnard. So when oh. I was, I think in first grade, um, we packed up and moved out of LA and moved to Oxnard. So I originally really grew up my elementary and um, high school years in Ventura. Okay. I was born in Ventura and actually lived in Oxnard. What what uh, year were you born, if you don't mind saying? 1980. Okay. So yeah, we would have been at elementary school together yeah. if we stayed, 1978. Okay. Yeah. But my parents moved. I mean, very similar story. My dad grew up in um, Hollydale near Downey. So, oh, yeah. you know, down Southern California. And your family may have also been like Dust Bowl people who came out from the Midwest or the Great Plains. Missouri, actually. There you go. <laughs> Ours came from Kansas. And yeah, that's the, that's such a common story. Coming out like that, you go to Southern California, baby boom, and mm -hmm. then people moving up the coast yeah. to a better life. Yeah. And that was definitely the case for us. My dad moved us to Napomo. Yeah. I can't believe, I love Ventura. I can't believe how yeah. much it's blown up. Yeah. We're looking at houses. Um, we're going to sell my parents' house because they need to downsize as they're getting older, which I think our generation is also running yeah. into. Um, and there are just, they're like the whole harbor area mm -hmm. and by the pier. And it's, I mean, you know. And the strip, the main strip there is so sweet. It's so cute, but it's, yeah. I mean, it's impossible to find places. It's everywhere. I mean, that's the, pro that's the problem that we're having everywhere. But yeah. um it's crazy to me what some of these places are going I for. Know. I know. Ventura was kind of like the beach community that mm -hmm. you might be able to afford. Yeah. And I don't think, I think it's out of the run. Yeah. It was like Santa Barbara was, you know, the, the bougie. Yeah. And then Ventura and then Oxnard. And now Oxnard's the, you know, that Oxnard's just blowing up. That's funny. Yeah. Oh my gosh. California babies. Yep. Okay. But do I remember correctly that your parents... Did they teach Spanish or something? Did yeah. somebody teach Spanish? Mm -hmm. My mom, good memory. Yeah, my well, mother. Well, because that's the connection to Spain and the wines. Yes, and, yeah. yes. So my mother um, was a Spanish professor for, I mean, 36 years. Um, she eventually uh, retired from Ventura College, where mm. she was the head of the foreign language department. Mm. But when she was young, I mean, her story is pretty funny. She grew up um, in not a very affluent household and she was going to school and didn't really know what to do and she had had a couple years in high school of um spanish mm. and i think you know you go in one of the counselors and you're like i don't know what i want to do with my life and they're like well you have a couple years of spanish and she's this little tiny white lady white lady and yeah. um she said okay and so she 
ended up going to college to become a teacher and teach Spanish. And it's so funny because mm-hmm. I remember growing up with her. I mean, every summer we would go to Spain. We spent a lot of time in South America. And, you know, we'd be walking down. I mean, Spain's, Europe's different, but especially in South America, we'd be walking down the street and this little red-headed, curly-haired redhead. And I grew up with her speaking Spanish to me. And my mom and people would say things in Spanish, you know, and she could just whip around and respond right away and probably better grammatically Spanish than <laughs> most native Spanish speakers. Yeah. And it was just always the most entertaining thing to watch people's reactions. But yeah. it was great because she had summers off because she was a teacher and my dad owned his own business. So we spent a lot of time traveling and and I was very fortunate to spend a lot of that time in Spain. Mm. Um and South America, but Spain is really where my love for, obviously, wine came from. Totally, because it's part of the culture. It's not even, it's not even a question. If you're sitting down and you're eating something, yeah, y- there's a glass of wine. Yeah, you know, breakfast isn't really much of a thing. Breakfast yeah. involves some kind of caffeine. <laughs> yeah, and then and maybe something something sweet, maybe, maybe something, something sweet. small. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then our sweets with you know this elongated relaxed lunches and dinners are our wine Mm. we were I was talking to somebody yesterday about it and how I just I you know we just can't seem to figure it out as Americans Mm -hmm. like can we just slow down we can't (laughs) I don't I don't know if that's ever going to change to be honest Mm -mm. I feel I was thinking about that recently too that we were born of people who wanted to get away. I mean, we're frontiers people Mm -hmm. and there was no time to rest, you know, as we're hacking at forests and we're trying to make lives. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's just part of who we are. Yeah. It's a real effort to slow down. Whereas maybe I don't want to, you know, paint with a too broad a brush, but when I was, when we were living in Italy for a while, I mean, you can see that, um, it's just not, part of the equation Mm-mm. to rush. I think that they default to going slower and we default to going yeah. faster. And I'm trying, I've tried really hard. That's kind of my um, mantra after the last couple of years and everything mm-hmm. is like, I just need to, I just want, I'm trying to force myself to slow down a little bit mm-hmm. and take it all in and actually look people in the eye when you're having conversation yeah. and stop and have a conversation with people. And I got, I, I know f- from my personal experience, like I just got to a point where I was just rushing through the day and especially, yeah. you know, customers would come Business in and, owner, yeah. and I would just like, you know, not even have the time of day. I can answer your question, but then I got to go to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And, um, I think what the last, I, I mean, I think that growing up, Look, I can reflect on that, but the last couple of years has made me really just want to slow down a little bit mm-hmm. and appreciate people and things and places and um, just enjoy it. Yeah. And I did get to take a little bit of time off mm-hmm. um, and travel around with my son and mm-hmm. spend a lot of time camping and exploring and, you know, not necessarily doing these big elaborate trips places although I did go to Portugal last year, but, um, you know, just, just driving up the coast and pulling over and camping on the side of the road and, and doing things that, you know, I feel like we don't do anymore. And maybe that we did as kids Mm -hmm. more, you know, yeah. Pulling over camping. Yeah. I mean, that was the way that we traveled. Yeah. And people, luckily, you know, I, I think 
there were definitely some positives that came out of everything, but, um, you know, people looked the other way, whereas you didn't used to be able to pull over on the side of the road and Mm -mm. just pop up camp. Mm -mm. And I think, you know, in the last couple of years, it's like, eh, there's nothing else to do. You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. I mean, geez, the rest stops are even closed. There's nowhere to go to the bathroom on the side of the road. Let us have the shoulder, please, (laughs) in Big Sur. Let us just pull over. Exactly. So, yeah, that's that's the motto. Just pull over. And take your time and enjoy it. You know, I as you're saying that I'm I'm aware also that our economy as Americans, it's so important to us. It's like everything comes after the ability to make money. Mm-hmm. And in Europe, I would say again, I'm painting with a very broad brush, but the economy is not the number one thing to fight for. Mm-hmm. Um and that's not right or wrong. It's just that's that's just not how I see that it is over there. And so taking a long lunch, taking a long dinner, um, that's, you know, it's built in mm-hmm. to be able to do that. Yeah. yeah. We have to train ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, it's even harder now getting back in the swing of things where people have money because they haven't necessarily traveled. Yeah. You know, they're spending it on other things, as you know, like home improvements and yes, things like I that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, people... And people are so excited to get out. I mean, Hospice Sterone coming up, the advertising that they're doing for the Paso Rebels Wine Festival. I mean, it's just people are so excited. We've got, I, I know this is probably going to air after the fact, but, um, you know, we've got live music tonight. Mark Adams is bringing a bunch of people in from hospice that are just coming to get, Fine. starting to get into town. And I'm like overwhelmed because, you know, I've got all these people calling and I know that we're going to have standing room only and it's supposed to rain and Mm. I don't have any people to work so like as much as I want to slow down and I've tried to slow down I've really enjoyed being able to slow down a little bit now it's like again you got to take advantage of what what the time is bringing and but then it's like this crazy balancing act because myself like many people are having a really hard time getting people to work it's such a kludge. It's so messy right now. Yeah. It is. And and not only do people not necessarily, is it hard to find people to work, but then customers are so excited to get out, they're not necessarily being understanding and patient with, yeah. with you know, Come restaurateurs on. and yeah. the hospitality. I would say hospitality industry in general. I was just talking to, um, there's that cool new, uh, have you been to Region? I haven't. I was supposed to go and something came up. But yes, it's very, I've seen pictures. It's so beautiful. I went last night. Um, Gray Wolf has it for uh, the week and um, went to say hi and support them. And it was, mm-hmm. it was just a really, really cool concept. But, um, you know, we were, we were chatting and it's the same thing. It's back to pre COVID where, you know, people aren't showing up, people are not making reservations. Mm-hmm. And so they've got, you know, hundreds of people coming to the tasting room on the weekends and then they've got that going on and then they've got hospice going on up at the fairgrounds and it's like you know everyone's just spread so thin and yeah. they also surf you know they're one of the wineries that many of them are starting to do now serving food mm-hmm. and it's the same thing then you've got to staff a full kitchen you've got to staff the tasting room you've got to staff a two satellite locations mm-hmm. you know and it's just Gosh. we're all running we're all running so fast and so thin and Mm. I just wish people would be a little bit more understanding of that yeah or that we could like spread the wealth across you know 
you might have an empty day on Tuesday and then nutty on Saturday. Right. Great if we could just get yeah. it all even. But I want to hear about how you came to wine. I mean, I get that Spain. So you grew up going, you were surrounded by it. So it was very, it was normalized mm-hmm. for you, at least for a quarter of yeah. the year. Yeah. Which is pretty special. It's a pretty special gift to give a child to to show that there's a different kind of normal. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So I think, well, so I went to Cal Poly. Mm-hmm. I left Ventura as soon as I got out of high school. I went to Cal Poly. Um, I played water polo, and Cal Poly had a great women's water polo team. So um, I got on the water polo team. So I moved up there literally, I think, the day after graduation. I was in the car, mm-hmm. and I already had a place to live with. I had already interviewed at the rec center to be a lifeguard. I had already made the water polo team, and I moved in with some a couple older girls that were – on the water polo team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a rec major, recreation administration. Yeah. So my goal was actually travel and tourism. That's what I wanted to do because I grew up traveling. Um, so I think originally I wanted to be like some kind of a travel agent or take people on tours or put trips together. And um, being on the Central Coast, I kind of fell into the wine industry. Yeah. So the day I turned 21, I walked into Castoro Cellars hmm. tasting room and I gave him my resume. And um, there was this other wonderful redheaded woman there that I took me under her wing and hired me immediately, Teresa. Mm-hmm. And um, I worked in the tasting room for a, for a very long time, mm-hmm. ended up going out and working out at the production facility um, all the way through graduation. Working there doing what? Just helping, I did, I actually did marketing. Um, I was the assistant to their marketing director, Mm -hmm. but they have a big production facility out in um, like Geneseo, like that area. Mm -hmm. And it was really cool because I got to be out there for a couple harvests and get the kind of um, farming winemaking side of things, which I had no experience with whatsoever. Yeah. So I was kind of thrown into it because out there it's like, all hands on, like, you know, the trucks would roll in and if, if, if we needed extra hands in the bottling line or it. anything, it's like everybody go. Mm-hmm. And the Utsins are such wonderful, amazing people. Yes. I mean, they, you know, no matter what we would, European style stop for lunch and they had this huge lunch catered and everybody from, I mean, no matter what your position was, if you worked for them, you would come sit at the table and we would have a big family lunch with wine Mm -hmm. and then everybody would go back to work. So lovely. it was, I got, I really got thrown into kind of the production role there, which I learned a ton. Um, And then I decided I wanted to go back and get my master's degree. And Cal Mm -hmm. Poly had just started offering a master's in recreation administration. And it was a great opportunity because they didn't have the curriculum really set up. I was the second person to ever graduate with a master's in recreation. So most of the classes that I got to take were business classes. Yeah. Four and five hundred level business classes, which was completely different. I love our rec department, but it's very different from the rec admin program, which originally back way back when I was going to Cal Poly, um, you know, was focused on city municipal kind of stuff, recreation like that. You're going to go work for, you know, parks and rec, parks and rec. Yeah. Um, And I was more focused on the tourism side and then having the experience from the wine perspective and doing, and like I said, then I started, I worked in the taste room and then I worked in the marketing department for Castoro, which was just Meg was my boss and I was her assistant Mm -hmm. when she couldn't go to wine tastings, like trade show tastings and stuff. She would send me 
So I was this 20 something year old going out there representing this amazing family brand from the central coast amongst all of these other wineries from all over the place. And, you know, this was 20 years ago. So this is when Paso was still very much up and coming and Napa was the thing. And, um, it was, I, I mean, it was such an experience that I was so lucky to have. And I don't think, you know, many people get that opportunity, especially mm. that young. Yeah. So getting to see what the Central Coast had to offer and having people come up and ask questions like, so what's there? Like, what do y'all, you know, do you, do you have a restaurant? Do you have a hotel? Do you have, I mean, think about where we're at today versus back then. I mean, it really was, Bill Hoppy always used to say, um, we're the frontier. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we were back then and yeah. now we've got... You know, infrastructure was the big word in co- in college was like, we just don't have the infrastructure on the Central Coast to handle the amount of tourism that we should be getting. And now we really, I mean, their hotels are popping up. The yeah. restaurants are booked on Tuesday nights, two weeks in advance. I, I mean, it's... It's still coming though in certain ways. I think about accessibility mm-hmm. with the airport. It's still pretty small and Absolutely. expensive. Yes. And so there, there's a lot. And then also just in terms of infrastructure for life here, water mm-hmm. is a huge discussion for wineries yep. especially. Um, but but it is, it's definitely more than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. And it's, and, and you know, San Luis as a county and politically and everything, you know, is, has, I think is has done a good job and continues to do a good job of they realize that we do have to grow. Yeah. But it's still very um it's definitely not easy. Yeah. Friends trying to build houses and whatnot. And it's <laughs> it's uh we're one of the most difficult places to to do a lot of development. Yeah. Um, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of money. Yeah. So um, and checked boxes. I mean getting yeah. people to agree to it is really tough. Yes. It is slow I mean we took slow growth really seriously. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. which is quite fitting. Yeah. Um, so so I worked for Castoro and I went back um, and got my master's and then I took a position with um, Gary Everly. I want to take a second to talk about a couple friends of the Consumed podcast like Midstate Containers. My contact at Midstate is Jake Knotts and I have his permission to share about something going on with him personally. Jake lived in Ukraine for many years, and he married a Ukrainian national, his wife, Anya. They live on the Central Coast now with their three kids, but when Russia invaded Ukraine last February, Jake was right back there, helping his friends, acquaintances, strangers, and even their pets to escape. Since that time, he and Anya have worked with a team of very capable folks to start a nonprofit called Restore UA, which seeks to organize, fund, and execute relief efforts in Ukraine. Jake is still on the ground in Eastern Europe, coordinating with people here on the Central Coast to fill containers from Midstate with humanitarian aid and ship them to Restore UA's headquarters in Poland. Every dollar donated to Restore UA goes straight to humanitarian relief efforts for Ukraine. They even have people sewing bulletproof vests for soldiers fighting Russian forces. It's incredible. The organization is starting to fill up more containers as I speak, and they could really use your financial support. To make a donation and learn more, visit RestoreUA.org. Thank you. Do you want to be more intentional about the meat you eat and feed your family? 
Have you even considered giving up eating meat entirely because you can no longer justify supporting the inhumane and industrialized system that brings meat to your dinner table? If you're looking for a simple way to guarantee you always have access to healthy, sustainably farmed meat and wild seafood, the Larder Meat Co. is here to help. Since 2016, Larder Meat Co. has been delivering farm-raised beef, pork, chicken, lamb, and wild seafood sourced from right here in the Golden State to customers who demand the highest quality proteins as well as intentional sourcing standards and transparency. A convenient club box from Larder Meat Co. makes it easy to automate the most important part of your monthly food budget. You can build a custom box or choose from one of the many curated bundles that LMC offers. As a Larder Meat Co. customer, you are supporting the ever-dwindling ranching industry that has fed us for generations, and you're building a sustainable future for your family, our ranchers, and the planet. Use code CONSUMED at checkout to save $25 on your first subscription and check healthy farm-raised meat and wild seafood off your grocery list for good. That's LarderMeatCo.com. Promo code CONSUMED for $25 off your first subscription. Consumed is sponsored by Slow Life Magazine, a lifestyle publication that celebrates life and culture in San Luis Obispo, California. I write the food column for Slow Life, and I'm actually going out tonight to cover the new restaurant, Cult, for the magazine. I'm going to meet up with photographer Jess Lerner and owners Nino and Cher Ang, and we're going to eat, chat, and snap, and I can't wait. To make sure you see the final product when it comes out, get yourself a subscription at slowlifemagazine.com. You really made it around to like the the, the old guard. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, same thing. It was just such an amazing experience to get to work for such an iconic figure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Garrett is still, we still talk regularly. Like he, you know, and, and again, same thing back then we would hop in his plane and he would fly us to, he would fly me and to the trade shows and it was just you know and gary gary enjoyed sitting kind of in the background with his glass of cabernet and i would do the talking and the promoting and the pouring and all that kind of stuff and um i started obviously because of my background in recreation you know helped plan a lot of the events so a lot of the dinners that were down in the caves and um the wine club and then i got uh, to dabble a little oops excuse me a little bit in production as well um because i helped do the wine club things and yeah. we always did special bottlings for the club so you know, he gave me a lot of freedom and was like well what do you think what do you think we should bottle? And I was like, well, wouldn't it be fun? I was just in Spain. What if we bottled, you know, a Tempranillo, but we blended a little bit of Cabernet or Syrah in it, like a Rivero del Duero. And he's like, great, do it. And named it something fun with like a Spanish twist, you know? So then I got freedom. Yeah. Yeah. So then I got to play with the winemaker. Um, and we got to play around and do tastings and that's, you know, between that and, and Castoro, we did a lot of tastings because I would help the, write the tasting notes because we're we were the ones that would go out and pour the wine and have to describe the wine to people. Right. Um, so, you know, I really attribute both Castoro and Eberly to my growth as a sommelier because that's where I learned to taste and smell. Yeah. And from the beginning, from when the grapes came in to when they were fermenting to when they were in tank to when they were in barrel to when they were in bottle. And that's something that you know, you can go out and become a sommelier and you can taste all these different bottles of wine and everything, but it really does 
there's another level of understanding to wine that I think, you know, there's, I tell people this all the time, like wine is an evolving product. It is something that has come from a different form and is continuing to turn into another form. Mm -hmm. And along the way, there's nature and there's the human factor of manipulation that can take place in the vineyard. It can take place when the wine's being made. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's different levels of that. There's the minimalist, you know, biodynamic natural wine on one spectrum. And then there's the big conventional, you can add up to 250 different ingredients into a wine on the other spectrum. And not post them on the label. And not have to, which is absolutely it's i tell insane. people that all the time and it just blows their mind what consumable product do you have in your household that does not have a label of ingredients on it exactly i mean god aspirin has a, an ingredients label exactly yeah and you don't even know what they are no like, no like, i know and you know what's interesting is my husband has celiac disease and so he has to buy gluten-free beer mm-hmm and for whatever reason, because of the nature of that product, there is a, nu- a nutrition label on it. Do you know why? No. Okay. Well, I, Do I don't you? either. No, oh. <laughs> but I just think it's crazy. Yeah. He has to have a nutrition label on his, or they that beer has right. to. But any other beer, you don't. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, and I drink my fair share of wine yeah. on a daily basis, mm-hmm. and I you know, when I go to the grocery store, I really pay attention to what products I'm buying because I care about what I put in my body. I take yeah. good care of myself. I opened a infrared yoga studio above 15C. I mean, oh which I don't know if I told you that, but no. um, we can come back to that. But it's like <clears throat> most people put so much time and effort and energy and money into what you're going to put into your body and want to take care of. And you can go buy a bottle of wine off the shelf and have literally no idea what is actually in that bottle. Right. And that's, you know, that's another huge thing going back to Europe is that um, now as my role with my credentials and owning 15C and everything, um, I've had the amazing opportunity to travel to Europe with a lot of buyers, people that um, buy wine to import it to go back into the market here and help them decide which wines to bring. And I cannot explain or stress enough that, you know, you go to these wineries and they are family owned estate, you know, their homes are on the property. They're not putting anything. They're not spraying anything. There's no chemicals. There's no pesticides. When they make the wine, they're making it with grapes Yeah, and maybe some yeast and maybe some filters of some sort. And that's it. And that's what you drink. And that's why, you know, I'm, I mean, and you know this from experience, you can go to Europe and you can have a nice, lovely, long lunch and drink quite a bit of wine. And mm-hmm. then you can go right into dinner and continue to drink more wine. And then you can wake up early in the morning and not have and feel great. Your yes. body feels good. Everything feels good. And I can, you know, there's quite a few wines that people have poured me or I'm not paying attention or go out to dinner or whatever. And you have a couple glasses and you don't feel well. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's actually the ingredients and what you're putting into your body. And it makes such a huge, yeah. huge difference. And there are so many people that don't know that and that don't understand that. Yeah. Um, and most of the wines that I carry, I have personal experiences with. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you, you know, the, about the people, where they're from. I've walked in the vineyard. Um, and it just makes 
it makes all the difference in the world. It's it's funny as I think about how much Paso and just this area has changed. When I first started loving wine, um, when I uh, took my oh gosh my WSET, I think it was the second one. They poured. Um, cloudy Bay for me. Mm-hmm. And that was just, I mean, if you've only ever tasted California wines oh, yeah. and then you taste that, it's You're, like, it's what is day. happening here? <laughs> um, and then came back from, cause I had done it down in LA um, and then came up here and it's like, where can you even get Cloudy Bay? It's funny yeah. to me now because you can access it in lots of places, right? but there was no BevMo. Right. There was no nothing. And 15C was the only place yep. you could buy it. 14 years ago. Yes, exactly. The only thing that was in town anywhere was Trader Joe's. Yep. And everybody thought I was crazy for opening a wine shop next to Trader Joe's. But I bet it was fine, wasn't it? Oh, it was fine. Yeah. It was great. It was absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Um, and people were just happy to have, I mean, so th- so I guess pick up where I left off. Um, I left Gary Eberly to take a um, distribution position. I wanted to have more experience with international wines. Yeah. I felt like I had really experienced the Paso wine world and the California wine world for that matter. I'd been to countless tastings um, with all kinds of California wines and I wanted I wanted to get into that European wine world. And again, I don't know how I lucked out, but I applied for a job um, right after I got my master's degree and with Henry Wine Group, mm-hmm. who's an importer distributor of wines, kind of the biggest of little guys and the littlest of the big guys, um, you know, smaller than Southern Wine and Spirits and Young's Market, but bigger than all the tiny little brokers. And um, I don't know how I got hired for the Central Coast. Um, and again, back then, it was exactly what you just said. It was there wasn't anywhere to sell international wines. I would walk into the restaurants and they'd look at me like I was crazy. Why would yeah. we sell anything other than Paso wines? Right, right. You know, J&L was the only game in town and they had 98% of the market. And there mm-hmm. were very few people back then, you know, again, Hoppies and Giuseppe's mm-hmm. and just a handful of people that were even interested in buying international wines. And luckily for me back then, um, Talbot's Creek yeah. Was one of was our That's one a, and only Central yes. Coast brand. Right. When you started that or when you were with Henry Wine Group and you got hired for Central Coast, were you the first to have that position on this stretch of coastline? They so what they did, basically, yeah, they had somebody whose territory was like LA to Monterey. Yeah. And then they they I think what what actually happened, now it's coming back to me, is that um Vineyard Brands, which is the umbrella company for Tablas Creek, which is Chateau de Beaucastel mm-hmm. and the Pran family and the Haas family and their collaborative effort, um, they decided that they were going to go with Henry. And part of their agreement to go with Henry Wine Group was that they had to have a representative a here on the Central yep. Coast. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so that saved me because it worked on basically commission mm. and I could get my foot in the door to a lot of accounts because I had Tablas Creek right. because people wanted Tablas Creek. And then I could, Hey, 
Would check you this ever out. consider? Yeah, exactly. I'd pull my little tricks out of my bag and say, "Hey, try this," mm-hmm. you know. And and luck. And the other thing was that Peter Neptune, who is my mentor and master sommelier, you know, part of our training was once a month we'd have to go down. We were based out of Benicia, but I was the northernmost Southern California rep, so I had to drive down to Newport once a month mm-hmm. and go to these all-day trainings, which were invaluable because it was Peter Neptune standing up, pouring wines, telling you about them, doing so this huge cool. song and dance presentation. And then suppliers actually coming in, also doing a song and dance, telling us about it. And I mean, it, yeah, you can't, people pay thousands and thousands of dollars to just go listen to Master Somalia's talk. Sure. And I had six years of training with Peter, eventually became um, WSET Advanced Certified and the Court of Master Somalia Certified. Mm. Um Okay, wait, pause, pause. So so here's where our lives intersect a little bit. So I came from no wine education at all, none, but a deep love for travel Mm -hmm. and uh, just a curiosity about international everything. And wine kind of offered a door to that Mm -hmm. because you could taste something encapsulated in a bottle. You could taste Italy, Chile, South Africa, um, you know, Slovenia, you can taste any of that. Yeah. You can kind of travel. It's a little cliche, but you can travel every time you open one, you really can. And, and like you said, it's evolving in the bottle. It's also capturing a year. It's capturing a specific little place like a hillside or whatever. And so I think I loved it from that angle. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I had no one, I had nothing to help me. The only thing that was a help I will say is, John Stepichevich had Monterey Street Wines, yep. and he had just opened it, and it was one of the first attempts at international mm-hmm. wine, you know, allowing people to taste. And I would go sometimes on Saturday morning, and he would pour things for me that I'd never tasted before so we could kind of study together. Yeah. But that was – those Saturdays were few and far between. Mm-hmm. So I – I've always loved to study. I'm good at it. Um, and so I was like, you know what? I'm going to do... a fun thing to study. <laughs> it is, except so much of it was theoretical for me because mm-hmm. I didn't have bottles in front of me. Right. I was studying geography and geology and history. Mm-hmm. It was much more abstract for me than yeah. it was for you. Um, but I came at it from that angle and I didn't work for anybody who could set me up with a taste. Yeah. So... I don't know how it happened, but I wound up talking to Peter Neptune and I said, I've taken my, my level two. I want to try for level three. Should I come down and do it? And he said, well, there's this shop that's opening. It's not open yet. And my friend Allie is holding the train or the, the exam. Mm -hmm. It was like an intensive weekend, I think. And so I got in touch with you, and if I can be totally real, I don't think you were thrilled that I was coming in. I think you were like, who is this person? Like, we've got our group here doing this, and who is she? Is that true? Were you kind of like that? I don't even remember, to be completely (laughs) honest with you. I think I was so overwhelmed with... Oh, you're opening a shop. The shop, and um, I I don't even know that I could tell you who all was. I know Steffi Terezi was in there, the Hoppies... Um, I don't remember. I think it was all else. industry people, so I just didn't yeah. know who you were. Probably. Well, and you're overwhelmed and so busy, but I just remember feeling like, God, I'm sorry. I, no, no, no. <laughs> you know what? Actually, come to think of it, I was so insecure about like who do I think I am? I'm working for the Slow Symphony. 
you know, I'm doing studying at night and on the weekends. I have nothing to do with any of you guys. And so I probably felt like an interloper. I think I've always come at it from the aspect of like, I was not necessarily well received when I first started selling wine. Mm -hmm. I had a few um, people who have been around for a while who were kind of like, who is this young, you know, I'm going to call myself cute girl because that's how I felt they were looking at me that knows nothing that they probably just hired because she's cute and young and she can probably go around and sell wine. Mm. Um, And I felt like I was treated that way. And ever since that, especially from other women in the industry, which, you know, it's still a very male dominated industry. I mean, we're getting so much more with all the women winemakers and people on all aspects of production and everything like that and sales. But when I came in, I mean, there was just not much. And I looked up to the few women that there were and not Mm -hmm. to get on that whole train, me too train or whatever. But, um, you know, I was so discouraged that nobody was there to be supportive Mm -hmm. that ever since that, I mean, I remember crying in the alley behind Hoppies one day and um, just saying to myself, like, I will always be completely supportive of yeah. anybody that wants to, like, get into this industry because it is amazing, but it's really, really hard yeah. to do. And like you just said, I can't even imagine, you know, reading and studying but not being able to taste. I mean, that was that invaluable experience it's working everything. for Henry Wine Group is they were opening up wines that you can't taste right. anywhere. They're opening up, you know, $300 Brolos and Chateauneuf de Pops and old vintages of Burgundy. And, you know, that's, you watch the Saw movie and stuff and it is real. You have to have yeah. a sponsor or you have to be independently incredibly wealthy yeah. to even go through the studying process because these wines cost so much money. It's yeah. not necessarily like, I'm going to sit down and drink this amazing, you know, um, $3,000 bottle of, uh, drc by myself because i needed to study you know it's like ridiculous like even thinking about yeah yeah but but i had the opportunity to taste so many of those wines because it was part of our training yeah and And you're sharing it with people too like think about me on my own i'm not gonna open you know several bottles and then just let them sit exactly it doesn't make any sense yeah and i think also because i came from a sales rep position to you know, owning 15C, I kind of took that for granted was I always had a bag of wine. This is before the Coravin days too, right? Yeah, so right. I always had got to get through it. a bag of wine that you had to get through and hit as many people. And by day three, you know, I'd get home and be like, well, I guess I'll invite some people over and uh, yeah, this make ain't some going dinner because yeah. it's not going anywhere. And we'll sit around and talk about the wines and, you know, my day three of getting to taste these amazing wines and then sitting down and enjoying them, pairing them with food, which is also a different experience. Like yeah. you said, um, you know, that you just, so many people don't have the opportunity to have that experience. Yeah. And it, you know, I think it really, I feel like my experience before that exam, which I ended up doing really well on, which I'm like, good job. Yay. Except for the, except for the tasting. Well, of you course. Studied, well, you studied better than the rest of us and the rest of us. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that. Well, I, it's funny. Yes. I did have to study a lot like, you know, in, at home on my couch, mm-hmm. but you guys probably did great on the tasting because you're um, around it all the time. Yeah. You know, it was just, it, I was good at that part. And I think I'm still, that is still where my heart is, is in the history. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't, I still don't, I don't even actually drink all that much wine anymore, which I hesitate to even say, <laughs> but, um, I also fell in love with beer along the way, yeah. but, 
But we had the chance to go. Right, I actually got the results from that exam uh, when we were living in Italy because we had moved on and we were working in vineyards and oh my it was great for yeah. a year. Yeah, and then to New Zealand um, oh, because of Cloudy Bay. Zealand. Yeah, I mean, I and then I got sick of Marlboro Sauvignon Blanc. And but anyway, it's that the the lifestyle part of it the curiosity part of it, the history and mm-hmm. the geography and everything. That's mm-hmm. that's still where my heart is for wine. Well, and that's what I love too. I think a lot of people don't know like the difference between WSET and yeah. the Court of Master Sommeliers. Like, and that's what I loved about Peter always pushing WSET, even though he was also on the board when I got certified through the court. Um, is it, you know, the Court of Master Sommeliers is very much focused on the movies that you've seen service it's restaurant service mm-hmm. it's it's that white tablecloth you know very um very traditional service yeah. and wine is so much more than that like to understand it you have to understand where it's from who made it i mean what the what the weather was like that yeah. vintage all of those different things um go into the bottle Mm-hmm. And WSET really focuses on the theory portion of yeah. that. And then why does it the, answer the question, why does the wine taste this way? And I always tell people this, like, you don't have to like it, mm-hmm. but understand why it tastes this way. Yeah. And once you start to understand why different wines taste different ways, you'll start to appreciate the wine more. That's and right. once you appreciate the wine more, you'll get a broader palate mm-hmm. and a better understanding of wine in general. And so many people... You know, and what I still love to this day about being one-on-one with customer service, which we all know customer service can be a very challenging hospitality industry, especially now, is that I can tell people that. I can say, you know what, there have, you know, you drink, and I'm just going to use your, the cliche common thing. Why do why is it that you like buttery Chardonnay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you drink anything else? It's like what you said about the first time you ever had Cloudy Bay, right? That's yeah. your uh-huh yes. moment of wine where you're just like, I had no idea it could taste Mm-mm. so incredibly different. And people don't really think about it. And then, you know, I'll pour them something else. Say we'll start with, you know, a Vermentino or something that's also full-bodied but has a different profile, you know, and it's like, well, I like the Chardonnay better. Well, why don't you just try this, mm-hmm. have a glass, because you you like the Chardonnay because it's what you're used to. Yes, it's a groove on your It's your, your comfort yeah. food. Yeah. So get out of your comfort food and try something different. Yeah. And maybe, and let me explain it to you, and maybe you'll appreciate it once you start. And I, I love all the customers that over the years I have completely <laughs> changed yeah. their flavor profile and yeah. what they like and what they drink. And it's like my favorite thing from... You know, one of my favorite customers who texted me at six o'clock this morning to reserve a table tonight. Wow! Um, <laughs> On the ball. Yeah, she um, she she would come in and drink these huge red wines, mm. and that's all she ever drank. And do you know what she drinks now? Hmm. What rosé? French rosé. Look at her. <laughs> that's mean, great. And she drinks other stuff too now, but like yeah. her go-to wine is now a French rosé, and you know, it's just. From where? Where is it from? Uh, she her fa- her favorite one is the Tran from okay. Provence. Yeah, love it. It's just a great little easy drinking, value oriented screw cap. Yeah, wine. Oh my gosh, those can be the best. Yeah, I have a real appreciation for value 
international wines because because I couldn't afford to go out and I didn't have anyone to pay for my pay my way through these tastings. Mm. Um, So yeah, like a bandol pink bandol is just absolutely the best. That's supposed to be getting released soon, twenty twenty one. Yes, bandol rosé. That's my jam. Tampier bandol rosé. Once more, I want to give love to a couple other podcast friends. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining local, organic, and non-GMO standards. Slow Food Co-op sources from local producers, ensuring they offer their shoppers great food and household staples. With a mission to empower health and well-being in the community, they offer local produce, meats, low-to-no-waste foods, and wellness items. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop. And visit Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. Native Nine Wine is part of Ranchos de Onaveros, a Santa Maria winery that sponsors the Consumed podcast. Owner James Onaveros was on the podcast way back in its first season, but if you haven't listened to it, I think this recent blurb from Food & Wine magazine will give you some context on who James is. This is written by Jonathan Cristaldi. James Ray Onaveros is a name to put on your short list of must-watch vintners. A ninth-generation farmer who works lands established by his family in the early 1780s, Onaveros decided to plant vines on the property in 1997, after which he studied at Cal Poly, worked in Sonoma, and soaked up the secrets of the Pinot trade during visits to legendary Burgundy estates like Domaine du Jacques and Domaine de la Romanée Conti. Today, winemaker Justin Woollett works with James to produce native nine wines, and they are destined to become commodities to stockpile. Out of this world aromatics of savory wild herbs, leather, and tobacco leaf are complemented by red currants and juicy cherries, all lingering through a long mineral finish. Well, I, Jamie, can confirm that the wines really are that good. Let the stockpiling begin at ranchosdeonaveroswines.com. Tell me a little bit about what it was like opening a business. Um, <laughs> I that like. <laughs> it's audio, so they can't see your face, yeah, but it was yeah. like this sideways, like, oh, Yeah, what was it like? years ago. Yeah, and mm-hmm. how old were you when you did that? I'm going to have to do math. Uh, 22 and what is that oh gosh you were 30 was I 26 no yeah. were you in your 20s no I don't of know course, I'm 40 of you were I'm 41 minus 14 26 oh my god I can't this even do the, the math saddest math I can tell you all about wine. No, I know you can't. <laughs> um, but it you know it's interesting it, I was young um, I was female I opened an international wine shop in the middle of not only wine country, but North County is a little different from South yes, County yeah. for those of you locals that are listening. You know, we still have, um, we fly the flags every Wednesday on the Templeton Bridge over the freeway. Right. And, uh, you know, it was, Cow- it was Cowtown and it was not only very scary and I got people Every day that would come in and just say, I, I don't understand. What are you doing here? What there's, can I even buy here? Yeah. And there's a, there's a, there's a Trader Joe's literally right next door. Like, what are you doing? You're crazy. Um, even, even people in the wine industry, um, which I did leave out the whole ancient peaks story too, but mm-hmm. like, um, I, I helped them develop that brand. Mike Siner oh. came to me and said, 
we what we want to come up with a brand. I'm partnering with the people that own the Santa Margarita Ranch. I need to know what price point, what label, what do you like? And I sat on many roundtable meetings to not only develop the name, um, the logo, the varietals and price points. And Henry Wine Group, when I was repping the wine, ended up picking up those wines. And we ended up doing very well with them on the Central yeah. Coast because what we needed, all these, you know, we've got all these high-end boutique wines on the Central Coast. And we needed just your regular by the glass mm-hmm. Merlot. Yeah. Well, this is before Sideways came out. And yeah. we've done very also, well with Merlot, actually. Margarita Ranch, such beautiful fruit. Yes. Like, you know, championing that area exactly. that hadn't been exposed. But when I left, when I left, you know, my local brands, Talbot's Creek and Ancient Peaks, and they were devastated. One, because I had done a very good job of really getting the brand out there. Yeah. Um, and I had been doing it long enough that, you know, they, I, people don't, I even have a hard time. We get new sales reps all the time from different companies and, you know, you've got your relationships that you build yes. and you do business with people that you have good relationships with. So they all thought I was crazy. Yeah. Um, and like I said, people would walk in and just not understand the concept. Like, what are you? And this was also when the Euro, you know, the mm. dollar dropped and the Euro was, very high so then the european wines were more expensive than a lot of the domestic wines um so it was really challenging the thing that i had going for me was that it was just me sitting in there all day every day so you know not paying staff at that time exactly yeah um but it was a challenge and you know there are people that are still very good customers i mean i was sitting with one of them yesterday one of the first people that ever walked through that door was this this older gentleman with dirty boots and spurs who drug his mud in through the door and he (laughs) sat down and I just thought to myself being a little beach girl from Ventura what the hell am I doing there is no way this guy he's gonna ask me for a Coors Light you Mm. know and he walked over to the refrigerator and he grabbed a bottle of Krug which back then was close to two hundred dollars sat down offered me a glass if I'd open it for him And I mean, love it. You know, surprise, surprise, just surprising, and that also proves you can never, you know, judge a book by its cover. No. But um, and to this day, he's still one of my very best customers, and yeah. there's a handful of people like that. Um, and I think, you know, I think even though there was a Trader Joe's, it was before, like you said earlier, Bevmo, mm-hmm. Costco. We had none of those places, yeah. um, which is why my business model over the years has transformed into a little bit more food yeah a little bit more on premise i'm i've moved i've had to move what seven years ago eight years eight Mm -hmm. years ago i moved to downtown templeton yeah you know and became more of a restaurant and bar i actually legally changed my license from a wine shop to a restaurant so that you can have under 21 kids in there because templeton's such a family community um but it's still you know the concept is still very much european inspired in the sense that you know, we're making the food in front of you. I don't have any hidden kitchen anywhere. Um, but you can grab a $15 bottle off the shelf. You can grab a $500 bottle off the shelf mm-hmm. and you can sit there and enjoy it. But you can come in, like you said, and you can sit down and you can enjoy a $15 bottle of wine mm-hmm. and you can walk out with a tab that is $15. Yes. And you can't do that in any restaurant. No. Most glasses. One glass are... for 14 Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, that's that's always been my concept is I mm-hmm. want to make wine 
accessible to people. And going back to what you said just a few minutes ago about, you know, the value of wines, that's another thing that is just really hard to explain to people yes. is value doesn't necessarily mean cheap. I mean, a good value means that it's worth every penny that you pay for it. And mm. I understand why we have Paso wines that are $100. I understand why Burgundies get up into the thousands and Bordeaux's. And I understand all of those things. What I also understand and I love because of my experiences is that you can buy a bottle of, you know, organic, dry farmed, estate Spanish Grenache mm -hmm. for $15 a bottle yeah. at my store. Yeah. And every bit of what's in it is really good quality fruit and it's made very, very well. And how the heck they get it to us and it can get on my shelf for $15 a bottle, that I can't explain. Yeah, just don't ask. Just don't, but drink it and enjoy <laughs> yeah. and I'll sell it all day long. I, yeah. I had a bottle um, last night. Uh, I served two gentlemen a bottle of the Triton Tinta de Toro, the oldest clone of Tempranillo in all of Spain yeah. from the Toro region where they raised the bulls for the bullfights. And I think it was like 22 bucks. They came back in, thanked me for introducing it, and bought everything that I had on the shelf. Wow. Isn't that awesome? It's so cool. But yeah. that's the concept. Like, you can't – you don't necessarily get that at a restaurant, and you don't yeah. necessarily know the true retail value of a wine in restaurants because – and I'm not – I mean, there's – we have – so many amazing restaurants with incredible wine programs now sure. that we didn't used to have. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's just so much fun to be able totally. to do that. Well, and education is everything. I mean, we talk about as parents, when you have your child in the kitchen working on the meal with you, they are like 500% more likely to eat what's in front of them mm -hmm. when they sit down to have dinner. So I feel like that's somewhat the same with educating people about a wine that maybe right at the beginning they say they don't like it mm -hmm. okay but tell me why and if you talk about it but even more so if you go there I mean go, that's a huge luxury yeah. but to go somewhere where the wine is being made mm -hmm. to see the place it's like when you're studying you know trying to figure out to go on a trip you're looking at a map of somewhere and you're just like I don't even know what I'm looking at right. the moment you're placed on a street in that map all of a sudden it's alive to you. Mm -hmm. And so that, I think that that's similar with wine. It's a very expensive habit to pick up though. Uh-huh, yes. Um, oh yeah, thank God I own a wine shop. I can't imagine what my monthly true. wine bill would be. <laughs> it's so true, mm -hmm. I know. And to have friends who make wine who are generous is just yes. the best. Absolutely. But yeah, well that shop, I mean, I, I still remember it as the original shop because I was able to go so much more often up there. But that green wall, like, it's just the best. It had the best vibe in there. I finally got rid of my green. Did you? <laughs> in January, I shut down for two weeks and oh, pulled everything out of the shop and yeah. redid it. Eight years later, it was time for yeah. a deep clean. Rearranged quite a few things and painted over my 15C green. Well, maybe it's time was up. I get it. I get it. But I love that green. Yep. green. It was yep. very distinctive. Um, what do you think is next for you? What's something that you're looking forward to, either in business or in life? I don't know. I'm honestly in a little bit of a transition right mm -hmm. now. I think most women, when you turn 40, you kind of go, wait. 
what am I doing? Um, <laughs> what is my value? What, on what earth? am I doing? My son's in third grade. He's nine. Um, I know that I want to keep traveling and doing a lot of traveling. Um, you know, the shop is it's fourteen years now, so. I don't know. I opened, I got bored during COVID and I opened an infrared um, fitness and wellness studio upstairs. Mm -hmm. I put in a coffee shop in the little corner of the shop downstairs with Spearhead, with Jeremy from Spearhead. So, you know, I kind of created this little, we got the bank next door. You can come drop your kid off at school. It's, you know, Temple, this is the Templeton like ideal day. You go drop your kid off at school and then you go upstairs and do your yoga or Pilates. Then you come downstairs and get your coffee and then you go home and shower and run your errands. And then you come back for, you know, wine and lunch with the girls before you have to pick up the kids. (laughs) That's what a life. That's like your perfect scenario. Um, but you know, one thing that I've really seen a need for and, um, Hopefully nobody steals my idea, but I'm sure it's already been done. Um, I see all my friends that are restaurateurs struggling, like me, Mm. um, with staff and education and with customers. Um, There's also been this huge trend towards less fine dining and more casual dining because of that. You know, a lot of restaurants have gone towards the counter service where you have to walk Mm. up to the counter and order and get your number or whatever and go back to your table. And I think... You know, I think also lack of social interaction by a lot of people have made that more the norm. You know, you don't necessarily want somebody coming over to your table and talking to you (laughs) and telling you about the specials and everything like that. Um, So what I see a need for is somebody to actually educate people. And you can still go to the counter and order your food. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you can still have a server come over and, you know, order your food. But what I would love to do is get like a handful of restaurant clients and help them help develop a wine program, help train the staff, and then actually work the floor Mm -hmm. like one night a week or one lunch shift or something like that. Mm -hmm. And just go around and sell wine and talk to people about wine, find Mm -hmm. out where they're from, what they're doing, you know, and even the people that come, one of the big, I'm going to say problems, but you know, what happens a lot of times is people go out wine tasting and then they have these reservations at these amazing restaurants. And they don't want to buy wine. Il Cortile, La Cosecha, Petit Canai, Bistro. And they don't want to buy wine and they walk in with their, you know, $35 bottle of Whatever. Paso wine, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. That's what tourism's for. But yeah. honestly, if I can speak from an industry as a whole, like we want them to take that wine home. Yeah. and share it with their friends. When they're in the restaurant setting, yes, there's amazing selections of Central Coast wines. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes we get wines that are library wines or wines that you can't get unless you're part of a club or an allocation or something like that. Yeah. So we, you know, and yes, that people have a service fee or a corkage fee for mm-hmm. that reason. But, you know, when you go into a restaurant, what's going to pair best with the food? Yeah. And it's the same thing you said. Well, you, you want to share as a as an owner, you want to share what you're excited about. Yeah. So, yeah. It, gr- which it, is why you have a menu, right? You know, to begin right. with. And if you want to stick to the Central Coast wines, great. Let's find something cool and different that you can't just drive out to the winery and taste. Yeah. If you, you know, if you're in an Italian restaurant, well, gosh darn it, drink a bottle of Italian wine, yeah. you know, or drink something that has a similar profile to mm-hmm. it. 
Um, so to me, I think that would be fun yeah. because I'm a little burnt out on the day-to-day operations of people calling in sick and, yeah. you know, people wandering in and just wanting, you know, it, it's just, it's just how things have changed. So I don't know what the next step is. Yeah. Um, but that's something that I've been thinking about a lot. Yeah. And it can be, you know, an extension of 15C mm-hmm. or it can be an extension of who I am and what I do on the side. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm not there all, d- all day, every day anymore. I'm a mom and I, you know, and I'm... I, You're running multiple I've businesses. I've done it yeah. for 14 years, all yeah. day, every day. So I'm I'm happy with it. Yeah. Um, and I love the buying aspect of it and putting the wines on the shelf and turning people on to, you know, yes, you like Tampier Bandol Rosé. Well, mm-hmm. have you ever had uh, Rosé from Corsica? My mm, my, no. my new favorite one that I discovered when I was over there a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, so. Well, it does sound like you're in transition. It doesn't sound like anything's going to change no. in terms of like nothing's going to be subtracted. Right. But you feel like yeah. you might want to add something. I just feel like I want to be, in, I feel like I want to be inspired by something. Yeah. I feel that. I get you. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, what that is, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, the yoga thing really got me through the last couple of years. I For got sure. certified as an instructor and mm-hmm. I got to go sit in that infrared room and just kind of you know, feel like anything that might be out there and bad for you is getting zapped out, zapped away. (laughs) Um, I love infrared heat. uh, Oh my gosh. As somebody who's always cold, it is the best. Oh, this winter, just walking into that hot room was so also I encourage you need, you should come up and take a class. I'd love to. It is. It's a beautiful space. It's all mirrored. Mm. We've got the diffuser with the essential oils and we have a variety of classes from yoga to pilates to kickboxing to bar Look at you. it's not just a yoga studio although i did name it vin yoga um, oh that's you <laughs> that's oh, me i've seen that cruising around that's yeah. me okay yeah gosh that's amazing um so that's been really really fun and if i don't get in that studio at least three days a week i just don't feel good yeah and i can go in that studio after drinking too much wine mm-hmm. and walk out of that studio feeling like nothing ever happened i love it so oh, gosh well you're a uh an entrepreneur at heart for sure so it's it'll come fun. it'll yeah. show up yeah tell me what you would i actually have already asked you this question before <laughs> when we did i did a story on um the women sommeliers oh, of yeah. slow county which was just i love that such, issue. i'm so proud of that that gosh it was I, beautiful I, I, I mean, I still keep in touch with all those. I knew most of them yeah. going into it, but all those women are so incredible. And yes. That was, that was, just goes to show what the Central Coast has become and right. the wine industry here. Well, and I think shout out or kudos to you because you did start something here. I think you showed other women that they could work in that, at that level of the industry. Um, and we have just a crazy high number of women who do that here, mm-hmm. far more than any other place I know Absolutely. of. Absolutely. So, and that's totally, there is, you can take credit for a percentage of that, I think. It's pretty cool. No, it's pretty cool. You know, we think of ourselves as, oh, I'm, you know, I'm trying to do this next thing. I don't know if I can do it. We're not thinking about how it's actually an extension for other people. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, it's pretty cool. But I've already asked you this question before. We'll see if it's changed. On your deathbed, what are you eating? What are you drinking? And who's there? Ooh. And um, let's, pre- let's act like you're not sick. Yeah. You're just having a good day. Just having a good day. Um, definitely, I'm drinking champagne. Yeah. Okay, that Vintage, didn't change. That hasn't changed. No. Vintage rosé champagne. Mm. Um, producer, Jill Saul, Krug. Mm-hmm. Um, Krug on the big side, Jill Saul on the mother-daughter grower-producer tiny side. Mm. Um, eating, I'm still just like your sappy classic like i just love foie gras (laughs) and oysters and caviar and all the expensive stupid things (laughs) i think just because you don't get the like it's such a treat when you do get them yeah um i just had caviar which i never ever have i had it like two weeks ago at mr jews in san francisco and it was yeah it's it was so special. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's just an insane food. I don't know what I answered last time you asked me that. Jay LaSalle. Um, I did. Champagne. But I didn't ask you about food Food. Before. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, what did I say? Um, you know, I mean, there's always like the, your go-to comfort foods, but I just, those are, those you fancy You want to foods. spread. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe a triple cream. Sure. French cheese and epoise or something like that. And really good bread. Yeah. Salt, butter, bread. Mm-hmm. And then all the fancy little tiny bites and who would be with me just friends and family yeah you know yeah yeah it sounds great I'll see everybody else some other time at some point (laughs) yeah I mean at the end of your life I try to remember this day to day when I'm chasing after some goal or whatever it is I try to remember that at the end of people's lives they're never regretful about the projects they didn't do right they regret not spending more time with their peeps yeah yeah that's why we need to slow down pump the brakes go back to the beginning of our discussion and yeah try and slow down and enjoy everything Allie Rush, I'm just remembering that your last name is Rush. You need to do the opposite of that. Yes. You need to slow down. But yeah, it's really, I know, right? Yeah. It's so funny. It's built into your name. So yep. yeah, you got to work at it. Yep. But I'm so grateful you came to talk. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. That's another episode in the books for the Consumed Podcast, which is produced and edited by me, Jamie Lewis. Special thanks to Stefan and Elisa Geraldo of Geraldo Creative Studio for their beautiful video and photography work that's kind of sprucing up my Instagram feed at Jamie C. Lewis, as well as on the website, letsgetconsumed.com. And thank you listeners, as always, for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Jamie Lewis. Jamie Lewis.